0: I'd like to welcome everyone to the Florence Weinberg Show. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, Dr. Florence Byham Weinberg is our host each and every week. And she's the subject of a documentary. She's the author of 16 books, including Before the Alamo and The Choice, which I always say has nothing to do with Roe v. Wade. Uh, just happens to be coincidence at the time of, of turmoil in in that particular uh, issue um, but uh, again both great books all, all, all of her books are absolutely wonderful and she is the host each and every week we appreciate your attendance and Dr. Weinberg how are you? I'm doing fine
1: thanks Frank. Uh,
0: how is the country? How about that? How is that for a better question? How is that for a segue? How is the country doing?
1: Well uh <laughs> Uh, The latest poll I saw, um, only 13% of the country thinks the country is doing well. Uh, Now, I think that's ridiculous myself, considering uh, what all I've lived through in my life born in the depression gone through world war 2 and all the other wars uh and so on and so on um and now covid and uh, uh so anyway uh, i think we have had a much worse times than we're having right now uh and actually that's uh, that's sort of what i want to talk about i want to uh, uh i uh I uh, want to base myself uh, loosely and, uh, on uh, David Brooks' article that came out in the Express News, anyway, on the 20th of July. That was last Wednesday. And uh, uh, it got me to thinking. And so that's what I want to, uh, to go into today.
0: Yeah, uh David Brooks is usually pretty middle of the road. Uh you know, he's pretty sensible usually. How was he this time?
1: Uh I thought uh he was really r- uh ringing the alarm. Uh and I think he's right. Yeah. Um I I uh I went further, however. Uh anyway, I'm going to put my own uh ideas first and then go sure. into uh, what he had to say. Uh, so anyway, I, uh, I read another article, not David Brooks's, and I think it, uh, I couldn't find it when I wanted it again. And it may have been, uh, on internet. And of course I didn't have sense enough to, uh, bookmark it. So anyway, the, roughly the ideas there and my own ideas added to it, um, and my, these, the whole thing was about the millennials. Uh, it, the article pointed out that the baby baby boomer generation is dying out or retiring, and the millennials are already inheriting the government and all other posts of responsibility. Now, millennials were born between 1981 and 1996, roughly, uh, and their ages are somewhere between 25 and 40. Uh, And they uh, were also the generation that first had cell phones and Facebook. And I clearly remember how glued everybody was in that generation, certainly to those new toys, the cell phone, and how they spent hours every day on Facebook if they weren't playing video games. And I remember a New Yorker cover from back then, it shows a family of four on vacation. They're all dressed in their finest beach wear, and they're standing amid a gorgeous tropical landscape with their backs to the ocean, and all eight eyes are firmly fixed on their cell phones.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. That's a great yeah. cover.
1: I thought it was particularly apt, and it still is, actually. Oh,
0: no, no uh, doubt.
1: Most people, as, uh, if if they're sitting still for a moment, they whip out their cell phones. Anyway, um, most millennials paid very little attention in school because they were busy texting their friends instead of paying attention. Uh, the consequence is that they know very little history, maybe a tiny bit of economics, but maybe not. They don't know English literature for sure, or general cultural history, and uh, uh, they're dissatisfied with the government, um, considering it a do-nothing government. And and actually, they are right, because since Obama's second term, the U.S. Senate, led by Mitch McConnell, has blocked every piece of legislation that came from the Democratic House of Representatives. And during Trump's reign, very little, my cat is uh has taken over my desk here uh, and is grabbing at pieces of paper so
0: is there any chance that he's offended by what what we just said about the millennials not being educated yeah, <laughs> he, right. he over- i think
1: he he believes the youngest generation is quite correct <laughs>
0: um.
1: Anyway, to go back to this, so uh, during the, the Trump administration, uh, very little legislation actually came through, um, and what little was was passed, I think Biden reversed in, in the first days of his administration. But now that Biden is in office, um, the Senate is evenly divided, as everybody knows, uh, with one Democrat always voting with the Republicans, uh, Joe Manchin by name, Um, and uh, so no new legislation can pass. So we are at an impasse exactly the same way that we were during the second half of the Obama administration. So since 2012 to the present, and that's 22 years, I mean 20 years, uh, very little action has taken place through our government, and some of the few things that have passed have been so watered down that they are ineffective, Uh, like the infrastructure bill that did pass but is hung up in the courts, and the gun legislation that just recently passed, which is so mild that it won't help. Very much to stop gun violence. So, my cat just walked right in front of me and, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the light. He's going to plague me during this whole hour, I'm afraid. Um, so, um, uh, okay, so uh, what has been the reaction of the voters then? Uh, In 2016, the vast majority who had not been following politics very closely only knew that the government was not working, and they blamed the establishment. And that was the Democrats at that point. And Hillary Clinton was running against uh, Donald Trump, who was nominated in the first place by people who, angry at the inaction and wanting a change any change – chose the man they thought would kick over the bucket to cause chaos, but who would be a healthy break from the established order. And Hillary Clinton was certainly certainly represented the established order. There's no doubt about that. So Trump won, not by the popular vote, but by the Electoral College and therefore We had four years of bucket-kicking with little or nothing uh, done against COVID, for instance. Um, And so it went. And so uh, we voted him out. Biden comes in promising change, infrastructure repairs, voter rights, social remedies. But he is promptly stopped by the fact that the Senate is evenly divided, and the Republicans under McConnell vote like lemmings against anything the Democrats suggest, and always aided and abetted by Joe Manchin and off and on by Kirsten Cinema. So a uh, standstill, uh deadlock, and nothing gets done. Yeah. Well, here we come finally, uh, to David Brooks's article. Um his title interestingly enough, is Americans are desperate for change, so get ready for turmoil and a wild 2024. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And he lists six conditions that point to future tumult, which, as several of the January 6th rioters have said on record Uh, that that future election will make January 6th look like a marshmallow fight. So the six uh, conditions are that only 13 percent of voters say uh, that the country is on the right track. And this is according to a New York Times-Siena College poll. The second condition they are deeply dissatisfied with the leaders of both parties. Biden has a 33% approval rating. This was uh, the, the case at the time uh, David Brooks was writing. And nearly half of the uh, Republicans want to move on from Trump. Okay, third condition. Inflation is soaring, and inflation is generally linked to political instability. And fourth, the millennials are taking over power structures, and I already went through that. Um, And uh, fifth, Americans are detaching from the two political parties and calling themselves independents. And Frank, you are one among those who call themselves independents. Yes. And 62% believe that a third party is necessary. And finally, the sixth condition is disgust with the present system. That's very high. Most voters believe our system of government doesn't work, and 58% think that uh, that our democracy needs major reforms or a complete overhaul. Half of young voters don't believe their votes affect governmental operation at all. So, therefore, they don't give a damn about voting, which I think is going to be fatal if that continues to be the case. So, because of all this, many voters in 2024 will want to kick over the traces and vote for a wild card and repeat in spades what happened in 2016 in electing Trump and on January 6, 2021. Um, we used to use a metaphor of the ship of state. So picture a group of millennials. This is me, not David Brooks, by the way. Picture a group of millennials in the hull of a sailing ship, which represents the ship of state. They are angry, and they want to do something, anything, to change direction and perhaps do away with the present form of government, namely the ship. Uh, One of them says to a worker nearby, hand me that sledgehammer. I know how to change things. And he hoists the hammer high over his head and faces the hull wall. This is a metaphor, but that is what is looming, and we will all go down with that sinking ship. Okay, so Brooks then goes on to describe the sort of candidate the future voters will look for. They'll look for an unconventional outsider. The farther outside, the better. Perhaps he should be culturally conservative, but by his dress, speech, and style, he or she will not be a part of the coastal educated establishment. He or she should be connected with the middle and working class voters on values and full-throatedly patriotic Economically, he or she should be center-left. Okay, this is David Brooks' forecast for the person who's going to be chosen as presidential candidate. Brooks mentions Teddy Roosevelt as the type he has in mind, (laughs) but the figure that immediately popped into my head is John Fetterman, who is lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania And who is now running as a Democrat for the U.S. Senate, and who is far ahead of his rivals. Brooks almost described him to a T. Fetterman is totally unconventional. He's six point six 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 foot six inches tall, more or less. I'm I'm just guessing. Wears a sweatshirt with a hoodie on formal occasions, and maybe on all occasions. He is outspoken. He's ready to kick over the traces. And I suspect if he were to run for president as a third-party candidate, he would win, mm. because he sure is winning the popular vote so far in Pennsylvania. And maybe that wouldn't be such a bad thing. The barrier, at least up to the first Tuesday in November this year, is the present configuration of the Senate. The only remedy for a world of evil is the ballot box, as far as I can see, as feeble as you might think that remedy is. So an an overwhelming turnout of voters is the only remedy, I think, to our present situation. Uh, It could increase the Democrats' number in the Senate and the House so that legislation such as codifying Roe v. Wade, the John Lewis and the voting rights bills, an anti-AR-15 and AK-47-type weapons bill, and, yes, even the Build Back Better bill, all this might have a chance to pass. And if such were to happen... (laughs) Lo, behold, much of the unrest would subside because something indeed finally would have gotten done. Hmm. So my last word on this topic for today is, of course I'm hoping, Frank, we'll have a discussion now, uh, is get registered and vote, 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 vote. I think that is the only way to change things. It's it's not that the ballot box has no power. It certainly does. But it needs overwhelming numbers of voters. So for heaven's sake, move, get out, and vote.
0: You know, uh, Doc, I I used to use an expression, and I don't know where it originated from, but uh, we used it uh, with the Independence Party, and we uh, established the Independence Party of America. Uh, we used to say the world is run by those who show up and you know and the quickest easiest way to show up politically is is by voting and if if you don't show up to vote you know and i know it's cliche but uh you you don't have much uh much of a stance to complain because you haven't done the one easiest quickest thing that you can do to to make a change, and by the way, mm-hmm. I've been in politics for years. I'm not now. I'm full time broadcasting and uh, and and so forth, but not. Uh, no longer do I hold an official title. I was elected to a political office for 25 years, a very powerful posi- position in New York, and then I was also the national chair of the Independence Party of America, which really didn't take off because we didn't get. We wanted Bloomberg to run for um, uh, for for president, and at the time he was talking about putting up two billion, would it be dollars? And in 2008, it was. It was unheard of to spend that kind of money. Now, I will say that Michael Bloomberg, who I got to know very well, and, you know, if it wasn't for my signature, you know, uh, it's a a long story, but my signature uh, uh, attached to a document called the Wilson Pakula. Uh, in New York that combines the Independence Party uh, with, at the time, Republican Michael Bloomberg, if you'd believe it, Um, and and he got enough votes to get elected because of my signature uh, for the first time and the third time that he ran uh, for for mayor. Now, he was going to run in 2008, and the reason he decided not to was one of the most uh, honorable... uh, things that i've ever heard anybody say and he called me up in february when he was uh, he he decided to announce that he wasn't going to run it was because obama was emerging and he did not uh-huh. want to be the cause for the african-american community to and he didn't at the time he didn't think uh senator obama uh was going to win but he said i do not want to be the cause to have an Ama- african-american lose because i'm taking votes from him and i thought that oh, was ow. never publicized he never grandstanded but in my mind you know michael bloomberg was the key third party candidate and he would have changed the whole world established uh, a third party uh, a third party uh, here in america whether he won or not it would have been and if you do that two times two cycles in a row basically you've changed the system to have uh, a a three major party system. Now, the gentleman in I, this, is the first I'm hearing about the gentleman in Pennsylvania, the lieutenant governor, and he sounds like a an interesting candidate. But unless he is self-funded, I've found over the years he is not going to have a snowball's chance in hell. Right. Of. Of, uh, of getting off the ground. He's going to either have to be out self-funded or get somebody for the vice presidency um, that is uh, a big money and, and he could see, he or she could uh, self-fund. But the idea of a third major party has been my dream for for years. Um, mm-hmm. What I want to ask you is, do you think this is a prime time for a third major party to emerge and uh and and potentially um win the presidency.
1: Uh no, I actually don't think so. Uh I I think that our only chance right now of course being a democrat yeah. and believing in in a lot of the uh of, of the bills that uh, the house uh, has passed and that are dying in the senate lying there un, untouched by Mitch McConnell. Or by by anybody for that matter, because Mitch McConnell has his troops in line. Even even the most liberal of them will vote against anything of 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 left of center. Uh, Everything has to be right of center. If if it's going or or so blindingly obvious, like like the uh, little bit of gun legislation that got through, uh, that it finally squeaks past um i just don't think uh that things are flexible enough right now for a third party to uh, to get afloat
0: i agree with you uh, and i'm uh, you know yeah. i was the leading advocate in the country for a third major party and i, I just i you know i look back to hillary versus donald trump you yep. know secretary uh clinton versus donald trump and uh, and no third party uh emerged. I mean and and what that meant is that everyone bunkered in. Republicans were gonna beat Hillary at all costs and, and Democrats well I, I don't think they um I don't think they took it as seriously as they should have early on. I right. think they took right. it very lightly. And um, but now, obviously, and when when President Biden was elected, um, they took it very seriously and they came out in droves to vote against Donald Trump, not necessarily to vote for President Biden or or then at the time, vice president uh, was his last title, vice president Biden. So I don't think there's a lot of room for a third major party uh, here. And again, it's sacrilege and people hearing me say it are going to say I'm selling out by saying that I just. I just sincerely mean it. I think the Democrats are going to um, hold on to every single vote they can uh, they can get, and and the Republicans uh, are going to do the same.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm hoping. Uh... I'm hoping that the uh, Democrats, furious about the uh, Supreme Court decisions lately on the environment, as well, uh and future decisions that may come uh, down the pipe uh, before the uh, November election, uh, I just, uh, uh, I just think that uh, the Democrats may come out in in droves, and I'm praying that they do. Because uh, otherwise, uh, impasse will continue, and nothing being done will continue. And we just can't tolerate that, and the American people are ready to explode over it. And I think that was uh, uh, behind this whole article of David Brooks. Uh, he's quite right, and uh, the conditions are right for the worst thing in the world to happen, namely a huge revolution. He, he mentioned the revolution he, uh, that the conditions are those fixed conditions are good enough to start one, uh, and i I fear that also. so uh, anyway, uh, right at the moment, people's attentions are riveted on the present situation, and imagining a third party and getting behind one is just not in the cards yet maybe uh, maybe if the Democrats do uh, win a majority in the Senate so that things can finally get passed, especially uh, the voter protection uh, measures and Roe v. Wade codified, uh, and something about the environment, damn it all. Uh, We really, really uh, are ignoring our clear and present danger. Uh, Right now, uh, the the Medina River, which is a big-sized river, has dried up, and the, the banner headline in my paper this morning was uh, that uh, rangers and other people are out walking along the bed of the dry Medina River and rescuing fish out of the puddles that remain. Uh, The drought is that severe here in Texas. Oh, my God. Yeah, and uh, the the river bass in Texas uh, is a special breed, and so if... Uh, if we allow those fish to go extinct, which they will, obviously, if those puddles dry up, uh, then we will have lost one more species. And uh, so the, the people are out trying to catch the fish and transfer them to the Guadalupe River, I guess, which is low enough as it is. So uh, we really have a crisis in our environment, and uh, Republicans are still ignoring it. I mean, and. That, their own ranches are dried. They're having to pull off their cattle because they can't feed them. They can't water them. And yet they are denied climate change. Oh, it's just another another drought. Yeah, it's, it's what we've had on record. So and the heat, the continual hundred over hundred degree heat here in Texas is just continuing and probably will without a break. Uh, through August at least, so so I mean we have all these terrible concerns that need to be addressed, and at present nothing at the governmental level is being done. And in Texas, uh, we have the Uvalde situation uh, highlights the uh, the need for gun control and. Uh, we have, I think, the legislation that recently passed raises the uh, the minimum age for owning guns. I, I think it does. Uh, that is badly, badly needed. And also here in Texas, any Tom, Dick, Harry, or Jill uh, uh, can carry a gun openly and without license and um, with no permission, no training. So uh, a mass shooting can happen at any second, at any place, any place that there is more than, say, ten or twenty people gathered. Then some uh, some insane person can open fire. And uh, and Heston, I mean, we've had the little little attempted mass shootings around the state since Uvalde, even so we have terrible condition and of course people are dissatisfied and scared and and 13% think the country is going in the right direction because it's not because of the blockage at the US Senate
0: it's it's amazing and it's scary when uh, a guy like brooks uh, mentions revolution because uh, we're we're not that far away from it or or civil war war. um i don't remember it being i don't remember ever being this close but let me let me ask you this and i'm not an alarmist by by any chance but let me ask you you're you're getting you're getting to the point where you've been on this earth for almost 90 years right and you've looked at the world intelligently from uh, you know, probably the day you could think, the, the day you could put your thoughts together and comprehend what was going on in your mind. Do you remember any time period that you can compare this to? Is there any time period? I mean, was it in the '60s where that we had the upheaval and the assassinations and uh, and race relations were were at riot um, status and uh, and the female. Uh, uh, movement the uh the women's movement was in full uh full uh, bloom uh the anti-war movement i mean is this getting like the 60s it doesn't seem to be it seems to be different than uh than that um what and, and because, i think maybe cuz you know there's no war on maybe that's what it is there's no there's no american war on there's no draft so you know the the anger is coming from different Places than than directly from the youth, but is there a time period that you can remember living in that um, that reflects what we're seeing today?
1: I no, I have uh, I have no such memories. Now we have had upheavals, but up until now, most Americans believed in a certain set of values. And most Americans, uh, actually, those were basically the Christian values, those that Jesus taught in the New Testament. And uh, right now, uh, almost everybody is detached from the church. They already have uh, been raised without any kind of religious guidance or any kind of moral compass. And so uh, the second that their kids obviously are being raised the same way, that anything goes. There's no uh, no anchor for them to hold on to, to. That tells them what is good and what is evil. And so they make it all up for themselves. And usually it's what's good for me, which is the Trumpian uh, type of uh, moral. <laughs> compass. Uh, so I have never seen such a detached from moral values or any kind of standards, any uh, kind of ideals generation as the one we have now. And a lot of them, like Josh Hawley, for instance, from Missouri, uh, a lot of them are, are completely amoral. And uh, even the the uh, the cause that uh, Josh espoused when he saw the uh, the rioters coming in a, in the distance and moving on the Capitol, he raised his fist in solidarity. And then, when they actually got into the, into the uh, building, he was scared to death that they would go for him too, and so he ran. I mean, there's was uh, the uh, this, the case of a man without any any real principles, uh, just uh, what what made him feel excited, and uh, and so and he wanted to kick over the bucket, and so uh, he made a gesture in that direction, and then got frightened and ran away. Mm. Uh so I I've never seen it before. Uh I can remember how patriotic my dad was uh when uh, Roosevelt declared that we were at a, in a state of war. He immediately resigned his uh, his teacher teaching job and went to Fort Bliss out here in Texas and uh and volunteered to fight against Hitler. And my husband Kurt Weinberg uh, much more understandably, perhaps, managed to escape Hitler by the skin of his teeth. Uh, and then when he got to this country immediately, uh, he went down to the draft, and the draft, since he had been in a Vichy concentration camp and had almost starved to death, he uh, his rating, his physical uh, rated him at... Uh, borderline 4F. And so they told him he could stay. If he wanted to. He didn't have to go to war. And he told them he would go to war because he must fight Hitler. And so he, he had uh, his patriotic ideals, so he got his American citizenship as a reward for putting his life on the line. And the people back then had such principles now my husband was jewish um and of course the, the jewish religion has very strict uh, moral principles that's where the christian ideals are all derived from so naturally he knew he had a moral compass he knew what was right and what was wrong but these young kids have no idea And their parents have no idea. So where is the guidance coming from? Nowhere. And as uh, David Brooks pointed out, the uh, the, uh, baby boomers are all dying out. So, or retiring, of course. And Biden's one of those um, baby boomers.
0: Well, one of the things that that stand out, you, so many things you say there, you know, I think a lot of people will say amen to. But one of the one of the things that throws me for a loop is uh, is, is those who who uh, namely, you know, who name themselves Christians and, you know, they're they're part of 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 Christian. When I think of Christians, I think of Christ like You know, and it's hard to do that now, right, because so many Christians have nothing uh, in in common with what I I believe Christ would be like. I can't imagine Christ chanting, build a wall to keep, you know, fellow man out of uh, out of uh, the land of greener pastures. Right. I can't imagine um Christ uh calling, you know, whole um group of people rapists and murderers uh, you know when when clearly there's no proof that uh that the people coming over are rapists and murderers you know i mean there's some in every batch there's no question but i i i have a hard time um you know thinking that Christ would uh would stand hand in hand with so many people that had hate Towards other groups of people. I mean, stop me when I'm wrong.
1: Well, you're not. Uh, Christianity has had its periods of of utter divorce from Christianity, right. <laughs> uh, from the the uh, what Jesus Christ taught in the New Testament. Uh, the Inquisition was uh, one of them. Uh, by the way, I just. Uh, just published actually it isn't out yet it's in the process of being printed right now it's a book uh, called dole which is about a 16th century uh, man who dared to publish the bible in french he was he was french and uh, publisher and he dared to publish the bible in the native language uh, which was forbidden by the church at the time which wanted to be in total control Uh, The scriptures, they didn't want the scriptures to be available to the common people on Hmm. the idea that the common people would then interpret Jesus' uh, words in their own way, which is exactly what happened. Uh, Look at all the Protestant uh, denominations we have. Uh, And nevertheless, the people had a right to know what Jesus actually said, (laughs) at least what the scriptures say (laughs) he said. Right. And so uh, uh, Dole got himself burned at the stake by the uh, Inquisition. Well, the the present right-wing Christians are willing to allow women to die uh, in order to save the fetus rather than the woman, because the adult female is worth less than the unborn baby. Uh, So they're willing to uh, uh, allow Uh, death sentences, (laughs) and also they're willing to, uh, in Texas anyway, and I think maybe Georgia as well by now, uh, they're willing to uh, arrest women uh, who are are leaving the state to to get an abortion and willing to uh, arrest the uh, abortionists. Uh, and the people who are driving the woman, uh, and they will find them ten thousand dollars here. This is Texas, ten thousand dollars, and they'll put them in prison for ten years. Uh, so this is this pretty much the same as the Inquisition. How how the Inquisition was behaving, if they thought heretics were abroad, uh, and of course Etienne uh, Dole. Uh, Publishing the books that he did other than the Bible, uh, he published books that were critical of the Church and its status at the time. And the the way it was uh, uh, enforcing right-wing ideas, what we would call extreme right-wing uh, interpretations of the uh, Christian message. Uh, so he was... Uh, nowadays we would say he was putting out propaganda against the church which was pretty much running the country at that time Uh, so Christianity has been close to Christ and very far from Christ uh, throughout history and in in various stages and uh, uh, I think the earlier uh, 20th century uh, for instance, the flapper generation—they were—they uh, weren't concerned with with the Christian message at all. They were having a great old time, until the uh, depression came along, and then, of course, the uh, World War II um, uh, sort of straightened everybody out for a little while.
0: <laughs> Sobered uh, us up. Pardon me? It sobered us up, the Depression and World War II. It sobered people
1: up. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. And for a little while there, uh, at least during my growing up, there was just no questioning uh, the uh, the gospel message. Yeah. Christians <laughs> and the Jews, I think, had uh, an equally strong moral message. So, And uh, the Muslims, if they were... Uh, if they were intelligent uh, followers and actually had read the Quran and so on, I think their doctrines are pretty uh pretty much according to the uh ideals that we all believe in. Uh so yeah, but the problem is now that we've gotten away from all that and we're and we've swung back to uh to atheism and anything goes ism <laughs> Yeah. at least that's my point of view
0: yeah well i i think i think people are i think people are are going to agree with you many people are going to uh, agree with you um you know, by the way, uh, this is you know getting off topic, but uh, I I guess maybe not if David Brooks is talking about an upheaval, uh, and I know this is uh, Europe and uh, and and doesn't necessarily reflect what's here. But I was in Amsterdam not too long ago, and it was I I had a hard time finding a church that uh, for different um, reasons I was looking for a church. And a lot of the churches had yoga classes in them, or uh, or uh, Pilates class. One had a martial arts class on Sunday, on a Sunday. And uh, and, and you know, I, I did a little research, and somebody had brought it up uh, to me the other day, and I knew because I uh, already knew it. Um, I think only three percent of people in the Netherlands are practicing any kind of organized religion. Could that could that possibly be correct? 3% of the Netherlands
1: well the, the Netherlands have uh, of course they, they are protestant yeah uh and all the churches i visited when i was uh, in holland um, uh, had no uh, they were all protestant churches they had no decorations in them and no statues and and no um uh no crucifixes uh, no christ on the cross uh and uh, and so on and and I did not find very many people in the church either maybe a huge church in Amsterdam would have uh thirty people in it for sunday service uh, which I found shocking uh so I think the majority of uh, of uh, the uh, of the Dutch are simply again they are divorced from religion right now yeah um,
0: it's it's tre- um, a tremendous number i'll 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 ask everyone to uh you know to to google that um but it's it's unbelievable. And and again, yeah. Dutch is always in the they've always been I never thought of them as an overly religious um uh group, you know, uh the, the Dutch but I mean uh, Protestant for sure. Um but now I mean since COVID, since the internet, have you been there since the dawn of the internet?
1: No, I haven't traveled. Yeah. No, I haven't.
0: So again,
1: so I don't know what the present conditions are in Europe, but uh, <laughs> but I do have, uh, and, and I need to write to uh, my people in uh, in Germany and uh, in Unko, which is just south of, uh, of Bonn, and that's not very south of Cologne, uh, so that's very representative of the of the uh, Roman Catholic area in Germany. And uh, but they are very much a brilliant people. and They're very much in touch with what's going on. And I haven't. And of course, I write them in German. And it's it's still an effort for me to write in German because I have to get all the case endings correct. And in order to do that, I have to know what the gender of all the nouns is. And <laughs> so I have to look up a lot when I'm uh, writing a letter to them, and so it is a chore for me to write, and therefore I don't write very often. But I really owe them a letter, and I know that uh, the drought is hitting them very hard. The Rhine River is at its lowest, probably lowest point in generations. Uh, So um, they would have a lot of news, and uh, so I would be asking them about... uh, about religion what what people are doing, uh, are they going to church? And I know that there are they have a shortage of priests, the same as we do, but it's even worse. So the church, which is in a thirteenth century church, beautiful little church, a jewel, um, had no priest even when I was last there, which was two thousand fifteen. So uh, years ago now. And, uh, yeah, and so they are having uh, uh, priests who sort of pinch hit uh, around, um, uh, you know, around that region. And uh, one Sunday they'll have a priest, and the next they won't, and they have to go to another village uh, to hear a sermon to have an actual service. So, um, you know, Christianity is in, uh, in dire straits everywhere because the German Catholic congregation on the whole was, uh, in in my experience, has been very fervent and, and very uh, assiduous in going to church and all, and yet the priests are just not out there.
0: Well, Doc, uh, our original point was the David Brooks uh, article, and you commented on that. And the one thing I, I want to, uh, you know, at least from my end, uh, you know, uh, who kind of put a uh, put a, a caper on? Is uh, that I've never thought of him as the sky is falling type David Brooks, you know? And um, I, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm I'm mixing him up with somebody, but uh, that's pretty strong words coming from him. And he's he's in a, a highly intelligent man, and and um, I think a very thoughtful guy. But I I never thought of him as an alarmist. No,
1: absolutely not. <laughs> Let me let me look at the uh, the first paragraph here because uh, um, yeah yeah he says i would like you to consider the possibility that the political changes that have rocked this country over the past 6 years will be nothing compared with the changes that will rock it over the next 6 i'd like you to consider the possibility that we're in some sort of pre-revolutionary period the kind of of moment that often gives birth to something shocking and new. Wow. And then he goes, he enumerates all the conditions that I I went through in my uh, in uh, earlier in my talk.
0: It's so, fascinating. I mean, it's scary. Yeah, fascinating.
1: Yeah, really. Uh, and uh, like you, I was really surprised from the very. Um, for the very uh, title of, of his piece, so I uh, I immediately tuned in and uh, and focused on it. Americans desperate for change, so get ready for turmoil and a wild 2024.
0: Wow, wow, <laughs> David Brooks. I mean, if you would have uh, if you would have uh, read that line or those lines and said to me, "Guess who said that?" Uh, the last person in the world, I think I would have been. Not about the last person, but and I don't know Brooks' work that great, but I, I just never would have. I'd still be guessing, you know. If you asked me an hour ago, I'd still be. I wouldn't have thought David Brooks would say that, but uh, he's listen. He's not wrong. Um, we're, you know, we're looking at a very tumultuous uh, time, and uh, a turmoil is is upon us. And you know, let's see what the the next two years. Um, what emerges from the next two years. But um, Doc, any, any final words on either the article or anything else that we're, we're talking about here? We are, we are in, a, uh, in, in a severe uh, moment of possible change. I'll agree with him on, on that and, and a lot of what he said and certainly a lot of what you said in there. But we are at a crossroads um, or a potential crossroads at our, uh, at our current juncture in history.
1: Yes, we are, and uh, this change in generations is, uh, uh, is a catalyst to all kinds of things that are uh, unpredictable, because as, I, uh, as he points out, and as I was pointing out too, uh, that our scale of values, our moral compass is fade, has faded into the background uh, for so many people, and so the, uh, our new leaders... The millennials uh, are not going to be as um, as patriotic, as Christian, as you name it. Uh, They will be unpredictable, and so God knows what's going to happen. (laughs) So, uh, my my advice to everybody is: get out and vote. Register if you aren't, and when it comes time,
0: go to the polls. Yeah, very good. Doc, and uh, for those um, who don't know, you've been listening to the voice of Dr. Florence Byham Weinberg, and the author of 16 books, the subject of a documentary, the longtime subject of a radio series, and before she became the host of her own radio show slash podcast. You can hear on 124 different outlets. Frank McKay here, signing off. We'll see you all next time on the Florence Weinberg show.